Let's pray. Lord, we come to you anticipating what your word will speak to us, what message will come to us. Lord, we pray that we would indeed hear and understand and that we would apply it to our lives when we leave and we live this week out, Lord. We give this to you and we thank you in the name of Christ. Amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're living or that you're lying on your deathbed. I know that sounds a little morbid, but just just go with me for a moment. You're lying on your deathbed and all around you are your loved ones. All the important people in your life are around you. What message will you give to them? What words will you speak to them at the last moments of your life? Maybe you'll tell them how much you love them. Affirm for them your love for them. Maybe you'll encourage them to continue to live a really good life, right? But probably one of the important messages that you could give to your loved ones, to those around you, would be to live faithfully for God and to understand that Jesus has died for your sins and to pass on that message to others. Last week in uh, the story, chapter 16, we talked about how King Hosea was was evil in the sight of the Lord, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And King Hezekiah, though, in contrast, did right in the eyes of the Lord. And Isaiah, the prophet of God, spoke important words, an important message to the people to turn for their sin, to repent and come back to God. There is so much in that chapter, especially, I mean, if you look at the the book of Isaiah, 66 chapters, there's so much in that book that there's a lot that I didn't cover. One thing I did want to mention this morning that I didn't cover last week was from Isaiah 53, 7 and 10. Now, whenever I put up scripture, if you see underlined words, then you'll read with me. If you see a blue screen with yellow words, you'll read those with me, okay? So Isaiah 53, 7 to 10. Isaiah says, he was talking about the coming Messiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Read with me. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. See, this is the message we need to get out to people, the message that needs to be heard and believed and lived. This is the most important message, that God knows our sinfulness. And because he knows our sinfulness, he sent a Savior, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. He willingly did it. When he was being beaten, he didn't open his mouth. When he was suffering, he didn't, in his power, being God in the flesh, he didn't call down the power of heaven upon them. He willingly went through it for us. He died for our sins so that we might be saved. It was the will of the Lord, and that will will always prosper. That's one of the things I hope that you're seeing as we go through the story, that God's will will always prosper. Today, in chapter 17, we're going to talk about two more prophets. We're going to talk about Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And they both give important messages for the people of that day and for us today. But before we get to them, I want to just set up something that was going on because Ezekiel comes onto the scene 
you need to kind of understand the context a little bit. There were um, actually six kings that uh, were going through the time of Ezekiel. Manasseh, Ammon, Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, and Jehoiakim. But what's important when you read the scriptures, what's important when you read the story is the ages of these kings. Listen to the ages of these kings. Manasseh was 12 years old. Ammon was 22 years old. Josiah was 8 years old. Jehoahaz was 23, Jehoiakim 25, and Jehoiakim 18. Now I want you to think for a moment, what were you doing at the age 8? Maybe playing marbles, right? Playing hide and seek, playing Hot Wheels. What were you doing at age 12? Maybe, you know, I remember playing basketball and, and football with my friends. What was I doing at age 25? I was a, a junior high director, and I remember one day I had my first ever parents' night. And I had prepared this talk to these parents of these junior hires. I'm 25, right? Imagine this, I'm 25. And all of a sudden, we're like two hours before the event, and I get this panic attack, and I'm thinking, I'm 25. I don't have any kids. What am I going to tell these parents? How am I going to tell them about parenting their kids, right? I was really getting nervous all of a sudden. I didn't have anything to say to them, right? So I call a friend of mine, a really good friend, and he reminds me. He said, Chris, how long have you been doing junior high ministry? And I said, I don't know, about six, seven years. I started fairly young. And he says, how long have they been parents to junior hires? And I said, I don't know, maybe a year or two, right? <laughs> He says, you actually have more experience working with junior hires than they do. <laughs> kind of calm me down. But what were you doing at ages 8 and 12 and 25? You weren't a king, were you? A queen? You weren't ruling a nation. Could you imagine all of a sudden at that age becoming the king of the nation? So hopefully they had good advisors to advise them, right? But they didn't because we know the scripture says that only Josiah did good for the Lord. I want to take a little test here. So I'm going to give you two choices, and you tell me which you think is the better choice, okay? We're going to have two choices. You get to choose which choice. Okay, first one. Would you build an altar to the god Baal, or would you build a temple to the god who has saved you time and time again? Which would you, what choice would you make? Anybody build a god to the god of Baal? Uh, temple? Okay. The second one, right? Okay, next question. Would you nurture and love your son, or would you make him walk through the fire? Get through that fire right now, right? You'd probably do the first one, right? Okay, here's the next question. Would you serve a God which has never done anything for you, or would you serve a God who won victories for your ancestors and promised you victories? Which would you do? The second one, right? Okay, next question. Would you have Kung Pao chicken? I spelled that wrong, sorry. Or tacos for dinner? Okay, that's a personal preference, I'm sure. I'd have tacos, by the way. That'd be my choice. That's, that's a personal preference, right? That's, that's, okay. But the point is, is it really shouldn't have been too hard to be a king, right? You're a king. The Lord has put you in that role, and I gave you those three questions. It should have been easy, the choice they chose, right? But every time they chose the wrong one. And because they were the king and they chose the wrong choice, they were led, leading the people down the wrong path. But into this situation steps Ezekiel. 
And at that time, the people, because of their sin, have been taken into captivity to Babylon. And Ezekiel is taken with, the, with them. And he is called to be a prophet while they are in exile in Babylon. They're taken away from their land. And they're in exile. And Ezekiel is the prophet that speaks to the people. And God tells him to give them a simple message. Unbelief leads to doom. Okay, so... Uh, Grace and Evelyn and I were at a conference for our denomination last, last uh, week, and uh, we're going to talk about more uh, next week. But um, one of the things that came out in that conference was the word clarity, that we need to have clarity of vision, clarity of purpose. I think that's pretty clear, right? Unbelief leads to doom. You think they would have learned that by now? Because remember, as we're going through the story, what happens? God's people are faithful, they're enjoying God's blessings, right? He leads them in the promised land, and then they become unfaithful, and they are overcome by their enemies, or, or they face all this trouble and hardship, and then they get right back with God, and then everything is good, and then they are, are unfaithful again and sinful, and they have trouble and calamity, right? You see the pattern going on back and forth. You'd think they'd come to understand unbelief leads to doom. But they don't. And now they find themselves in calamity. Now, if you've ever read the book of Ezekiel, you know that Ezekiel by far is called on by God to do the craziest and wackiest things. And I think really God was like, okay, they are not getting the words that they are supposed to understand, right? They are just not getting this message. So God says, I'm going to have Ezekiel not just speak words. I'm going to have him do just some really crazy things in hopes that maybe they'll remember it better, right? And so they have, uh, uh, Ezekiel has to lie on his side. Um, like I said, uh, on, on, um, for a while he had to lie on his side for, I don't know, over 300 days, and then he had to go to the other side for, for 40 days. He had to uh, cook his food over cow dung. Anyone want to do that? <laughs> Not me. Okay, he had to, he was sat in a chair and he was bound and tied so he couldn't move. You imagine the people remembered what happened to him and what he did, not just the words he spoke. I mean, think of it. If I was sitting on a chair bound and tied and I couldn't move, and I just sat there for a really long time. You'd be like, okay, pastor, what are, you, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? And then when I'm unbound and I tell you the reason, I bet when you went away from church, you would remember that all week, if not even longer than that, right? And so what he did made a profound impact on the people. So in Ezekiel's time, he's prophesying, um, and, and uh, Israel's in captivity, and Ezekiel, it's kind of like the book of Revelation, right? Where there's these visions from heaven. Ezekiel gets these visions from God from heaven. And he gets these messages from heaven to give to the people. And his prophecies are full of reproof, right? He's reproving the people for their sin. And that goes on for a very long time. And then near the end of the book, he starts to give them these encouragements. And he starts to remind them, if you behave in this way, if you're faithful to God in this way, then God will restore you. And all along, he is living with great character and integrity. You know, 
If we're going to have our message heard for the Lord, right? We're Christians, we walk out, we're in the, in the midst of the lives of people, and we don't live our lives with godly character and integrity. Do you think they're going to hear our message? Do you think they're going to care about what we say? We were at the conference, and one of the uh, speakers was talking about how low, I mean, it used to be that Christians were thought of like with 75% um, favorability, and now it's down to like 27%. That people look at Christians with only a 27% favorability. For the most part, she said, they look at Christians as hypocrites. Why? Because we don't live with godly character and integrity. And Ezekiel did, and that helped his message. And that will help our message as we live our lives. Ezekiel is told to not be afraid of the people in the midst of what's going on. You know, when you confront people in their sin, they don't take it very well, do they? A lot of times they're, they're angry with you. Maybe they speak harshly with you. Maybe they don't like you anymore. They don't like to be confronted in their sin. But God says, don't worry about what people think about you. Let, let God give you the words, right? Let God speak to you. Do what God tells you to do and say what God tells you to say. As we learned in chapter 16, remember, there's always that remnant. The people, all these people go astray, but there's always that remnant of people who stay faithful. And that is true here in Ezekiel's time as well. There is a remnant. There is a small group of people who are staying faithful. You ever feel like that, that you're just part of like the little remnant? That there's so many people around you that are not doing what the Lord would have them to do. And it's hard sometimes, right? It's hard sometimes to really live for the Lord. But God reminds us, be that remnant, be that faithful people, be that example, and I will use your life. I will make an impact in and through you in this world. A few times, or a couple times, my family and I went to South Dakota and back. We drove to South Dakota and back. And so for about... uh, uh, six to eight hours a day we would drive and then we would stop somewhere and we'd do something fun and we ultimately made our way to, to the Black Hills in South Dakota. Beautiful place. You've never been. Really great place to go. But it takes a long time. It takes about four or five days to drive there and when you're you know, going about eight hours a day. And we would have a great time there and then we would come back for another you know, four or five days and we'd drive. But in the midst of all the fun that we're doing, in the midst of all the vacation time we were having, You know what we kind of felt deep down? Can't wait to get home. (laughs) In fact, I've had a couple of you say, you guys went on trips not too long ago, and said, you know, it was really great that we went, but I really enjoyed coming home. I really enjoyed coming home. It's great to vacation, but there's something nice about coming home to your warm bed and to home-cooked meals and, you know, sitting in your chairs and relaxing. So if that's true for us, If that is true for us, if we, just when we go on vacation, long for a home, you can only imagine how the people who are in exile in Babylon longed for their home, right? They longed to return home. Ezekiel 4.3 says, And you, take an iron griddle and place it as an iron wall between you and the city. God's saying this to Ezekiel. And set your face toward it. Again, some crazy, wacky thing that God's telling Ezekiel to do. And let it be in a state of siege. And press the siege against it. This is a sign for the house of Israel. 
See, God was having Ezekiel tell the people, as long as you stay in the state of mind that you are in, as long as you are in this state of mind, in this sinful state of mind, you will not return to your home. And so he gave a visual message along with the message through his words. So Ezekiel's constantly giving them visual signs and speaking to them important words. I encourage you to read the book of Ezekiel. It's really quite uh, intriguing and interesting and has some very important messages that I have not covered this morning. So I really encourage you. In fact, you know, as we're going through the story, we're taking huge chunks of scripture at a time. Today we're dealing with the book of Ezekiel, the book of Jeremiah, and the book of Lamentations. There is no way in one sermon I can cover all of that material. So I really encourage you, the story is not meant to replace the Bible. It's meant to whet our appetite, to long to read the Word of God even more. So read the book of Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Lamentations if you can find some time. And one last theme that Ezekiel was constantly trying to get to the people is that the things that we're doing and the people who are called to be is not just for us, it's not just for our nation, it's for all the nations around us to see. God says, you're not just to be a Christian just for your own sake. You're not just to be a Christian just for your own church's sake. You are to be a witness and an example so that all the world will know that I am the Lord and that I am to be worshipped. That is our call. If you want to make your life count, then you need to live with godly character and integrity, and you need to make sure that people around you understand that this is not just your God. That's their God as well. But there's still some people that were left in Jerusalem. Nebuchadnezzar left a group of people in Jerusalem. If you thought it was bad to be in exile in Babylon, it was even worse to be in Jerusalem because of all the sinfulness of the people, the land had basically been ravaged. And everybody was living in sinfulness. And Jeru- uh, Jeremiah is called to be a prophet in this setting. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, right? <laughs> Beyond that, if you know anything about Jeremiah, you know that he was young. And Jeremiah kept saying, Lord, I am so young. This is not a young picture of him. I should have <laughs> got a young picture of Jeremiah, huh? This is an older picture of Jeremiah. But Jeremiah Jeremiah was called to be a prophet and a voice to the people of God in the midst of their sinfulness and ravaging the land of Jerusalem. And he complains and he says, Lord, I can't be a voice. I am so young. And God says, no, you don't need to worry about that. From before your birth, I chose you and I prepared you to be my voice to the people. I will give you words to speak. My first call was in uh, Colorado, where I just was, at a church called the Ecumenical Church of Pueblo West. And I wasn't really that young. I was 35 when I got my first call. But because I was in my first call, and because I was inexperienced at that time, I felt younger than I actually was. And I think the people in the church saw me as this young pastor, right? Inevitably, and I was there three years, inevitably, the whole three years I was there, I'd be standing at the door greeting people and Every single Sunday, somebody would say, what a good pastor, or what a good sermon pastor for someone so young. (laughs) Every Sunday, I heard that from someone, right? And I thought, you know, 
I don't think it matters if I'm 50, 60, 70. I think if I, as long as I was at that church, because it was my first call, right? They were always going to think, oh, what a good sermon pastor for someone who is so young. But ultimately, I didn't worry about it. Why? Because I realized that God had called me to this place. And God had called me to this time. And God was going to give me the words to speak. Do you ever feel inexperienced? Do you ever feel shy about sharing your faith, about talking about the Bible? Maybe you feel young or you just haven't practiced it enough or whatever the reason, you feel that way. And God says, don't worry about that. When you find yourself in that place, I have put you in that place for that time. I will give you the words to speak. And then later you might say, oh, that wasn't polished or, oh, that wasn't like a sermon that the pastor... You know what? That's not what's important. The important thing is, is that God will give you words. You know, it's more, it's as much if not more about God than about you. Let me say that again. It is more, is as much or more about God than it is about you. God has placed you in that time, in that place, and God will speak in and through you. You don't need to worry, oh Lord, how will I do this? Jeremiah 1, 7-10, But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I'm only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overflow, overthrow, to build and to plant. When I was at junior high director, having to speak to junior high parents, God said, I'm going to put words in your mouth. When you find yourself with a friend in a difficult situation and you don't know what words to say, God is with you. God will put his words in your mouth. Jeremiah had a heart for the people. He cared about the people. He cared about their sin. He cared that they had gone wayward. And being the caring and concerned prophet he was, he was able to share not just an important message, but they could experience, they could feel his love and his sincerity. And that was what made his message so powerful along with the words that God gave him, because he had a sincere heart caring for people. When you truly care about people, you know, if you try to make someone a project, then it will never go well. It will never go well. When you care sincerely for people about who they are and what they're going through, not trying to fix them and not trying to make their lives all better, if you just walk alongside them and love them with the love of Christ, and you give them sincerity from your heart, God will use you in their lives. Jeremiah 2, 11-13. Jeremiah says, As a nation changed its gods, even though there are no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's a rhetorical question. Have my people turned to other gods, right? 
The answer was supposed to be, no, no, Lord, we haven't. We're still faithful to you. But the truth was, yes, we have, right? They had gone to other gods, and God says, the first thing you did wrong is you've forsaken me. But the second thing is that these gods are like broken cisterns. They have no power. Broken cisterns can't hold water. They're not useful, right? You try to put, have you ever tried to put water, in, and maybe you've played a game like this, right? Where there's like a hole in the bottom of the bottle. You ever played a game like that? You're supposed to put water in it, and then you're supposed to get that bottle back to another you know, bucket, right? And you pour the water in, and then you run back, and you fill up your bottle again. And all the while, you're running back to the bucket, the water is just draining out, right? It's almost a futile game, right? That's what Jeremiah is saying. These gods have no power. It's like putting water in a broken cistern. It's just all going to pour out. There's not going to be anything beneficial from it. And we look around and we see people so often choose a path that does not include God, thinking that these other so-called things in life or gods are going to sustain them, are going to help them, are going to make their life better, are going to do anything for them. And it's just like a broken cistern, not able to hold water or to benefit them in any way. Here we have a prophet of God speaking an important message, but the people are lost in their idol worship. They're lost in their sin, and they are not hearing the message. What keeps you from really hearing the word of God? I mean, not just hearing it so that someone said, okay, here's a test. What do the pastors preach about today? Oh, da, 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 da. That's not what I'm talking about. Not just hearing it. I mean, hearing it in a way that it impacts your life. Hearing it in a way that it changes your life. Hearing it in a way that you walk out that door and this week you're going to live in a way that's different because of the message that God spoke to you. What keeps you from really hearing God's I can't answer that for you. You have to answer that for yourself. And if there's something in your life that keeps you busyness, maybe I'm too busy and I just, once I'm done, I go out and I'm so busy, I'm just thinking about these things. Maybe it's business. Maybe there is some sin in your life that takes you away from God. Whatever. What is it that keeps you from really hearing the word of God? Whatever that is, you need to rid that. Rid yourself from that. Get that out of your life. And that is what Jeremiah is trying to do. He's trying to get these false prophets or these false gods, these, these idols, these, these sin out of the people's lives so that they will turn back to God and follow God. Jeremiah's heart broke so much for Jerusalem that he wrote the book of Lamentations. The book of Lamentations is is about Jeremiah's grieving over a nation of sinfulness, grieving over a nation that was so sinful that it destroyed the land of Jerusalem. So he writes the book of Lamentations, in essence, pleading for these people who are lost to return back to God, pouring out his grief into this book. Series of laments over the destruction of Israel. Lamentations 1.1, he says, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. Can you hear that? I mean, it starts off in the very first line. You hear his pain. How lonely sits the city that's full of people. Have you ever been driving along? Uh, maybe you're going on a trip, right? And there's, every once in a while you, you get to a place where you could tell it used to be a, a town, a city or something, and now it's just dirt and broken down buildings, Right? 
think, hmm, I wonder what that city was like when there was people. In the... That's what, that's what uh, Jeremiah is looking at, how lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations. There was one time when, when Jerusalem was great. Read with me. She who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. Does that sadden you? Sadden Jeremiah. You know people who have experienced great heartache, trouble, loss because of their choices? And you look at that and you say, you know, it really didn't have to be that way. If they would have made different choices, the, those experience, they wouldn't have gone through those experiences. They wouldn't have dealt with that heartache. Now, of course, there's sometimes there's things that come to us that are not our choices, right? But sometimes you look at people who make choices and they have heartache and they have trouble and they've experienced all this pain and it didn't have to happen. Or maybe in your life, you think about your life and you say, yeah, I remember that time when I made that choice and it was really a bad choice and I shouldn't have made that choice and I, it really brought me grief and heartache and, and I could have avoided it. Or maybe you're just like Jeremiah and you look out over our world and you grieve at the sinfulness of our world. You grieve at the wrong choices people are making. You grieve at how our our nation is so messed up and going in the wrong direction. And like Jeremiah, you grieve and you wish that you could bring people back into a relationship with God. They could become Christ followers. And what a difference that would make in their lives and in our world. Could you only imagine? You know, everybody talks about peace on earth, right? You know how that happens. If everybody was walking with Christ, with Christ as their Savior and Lord, we would have peace on this earth. And then you say, oh, that's so big. How can I deal with that? One person at a time, right? Change one person's life at a time and make a difference for that one person. There's nothing more joyous than to know that you have walked with someone, they've accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, their life has been transformed, and they're experiencing the joy and the love and the peace and, and the power of God in their lives, and they're walking in the will of God, and they're doing what God had called them to do, created them to do. And you look at that, and I don't think there's any more joy in the world to see that happening in someone's life. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. There's a wonderful verse in uh, Lamentations 3.25. It says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. When we wait for the Lord, he will bring us good advice. When we wait for the Lord, he will lead us into that right path. When we wait for the Lord, he will give wisdom to us to make good choices. When we wait for the Lord, he will empower us to do what we are called to do. When we wait for the Lord, he will give us purpose and meaning in our life. When we wait for the Lord, we'll be filled with the joy and the peace and the love of God. When we wait for the Lord, he will bring to us people who need him. Will we be faithful in those opportunities? You and I can be like Ezekiel and Jeremiah. We can be a voice of reason 
to those who are lost. We can be a wake-up call to those who have fallen asleep and are not making good choices. We can be the strength to people who are feeling weak. We can be the accountability partner to the person who can't do it on their own. When we wait on the Lord, we can be these things. And I guarantee you, when you get to the end of your day, when you get to the end of your week, when you get to the end of your month, when you get to the end of your year, you know how you read so many times people say, oh, I'm so glad 2018 is done and 2019. 2018 was such a terrible year. When we walk in the will of the Lord, even in those hardships of whatever comes to us, we will not get to the end of the year and say, oh, so glad this year is done. I can't wait for the next year. We will say, praise be to God because of the work that he did in and through my life, the work he did in and through our church. Amen?